0: December is such a very busy month. There's presents to buy, budgets to balance, meals to plan, decorations to hang, trees to buy or unfold, as the case may be. You know, a thousand tips on a plastic tree seems like such a good idea until you have to open them out one by one by hand. Then there's work. Budgets for the new year. And anyone who works in a trade knows... That customers decide that they really, really need that gazebo right now and it must be finished before Christmas. And parties, office parties, friends parties, WebC has Christmas parties, carols in the park, carols in the dark, carols in the sea, carols up a tree. That's Dr. Zeus, I must have got distracted. <laughs> and that's the problem. We get so completely distracted. There are Christmases, I'm sorry to confess, when I've woken up and realized that today is the day that we celebrate and remember the most important gift that humanity, or for that matter any human, has ever received. And I've not given it a thought until that moment. That makes me sad and guilty, but I suspect that I'm not alone in this Christmas morning melancholy. So I thought we might step aside from our series on Ephesians to talk about preparing for Christmas. And we can find one of the most important examples of preparation in Scripture in Luke 1 with the story of John the Baptist. Now, um, you don't need to have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be going through quite a number of Scriptures and all of them will be up there. So you can set those aside, but uh, I would encourage you to, to take notes where you feel it's appropriate. So let's just read this quickly. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can I ask a question to the adults here? Do you find leaving difficult? Because the kids are never ready when you need to go. We experience this difficulty because preparedness is a learned behaviour. It's not something that we automatically do. I'm five now, so from here on and forevermore, I will always be on time and have my swimming togs ready on a Thursday. No, it doesn't work like that. We need to be taught the importance of preparedness and the mental and physical disciplines that enable us to practice this important behaviour. As much as this is true for our physical lives here on earth, our Heavenly Father knows that we need to be taught spiritual preparedness too. Being prepared is an important life skill. We may say that we like to live in the moment and seek out excitement, but think for a moment how your heart races and you feel off balance when you encounter the unexpected. And then imagine what life would be like if everything we did was like that. I think the adrenaline will probably kill us off in one day. The truth is that we need and value knowing what comes next. As we have just read, John the Baptist had the task of preparing Israel for the coming of Christ. We can learn from this example. If God thought it was necessary to send John ahead of Jesus so that people would be expectant and ready, then we too ought to consider it an important to be prepared to celebrate the remembrance of His birth. I don't mean that we should have all the presents bought and wrapped, decorations hanging from every surface, and the turkey on the oven, but Christmas Day should find us spiritually prepared. Not only will its joy and impact be so much greater if we are so, but Christmas preparedness has a greater and more general significance in that what we learn and build into our lives as we spiritually make ready for that one day, will stand us in good stead for every other day. Of course, all this preparation makes me think of the scouts, whose motto is, of course, be prepared. Yeah. I was never a scout. In fact, my distinct recollection is of sitting in a tree outside where they met and mocking them from the branches. (laughs) So shame on me. In the scouting context, to be prepared means having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur, knowing the right thing to do at the right moment and being willing to do it. When we consider the elements of this definition, discipline, obedience and forethought, it isn't a great leap of imagination to see that these will have relevance for Christians too. Now, here I know I'm going to disappoint you because we aren't going to launch into what obviously looks like a three-point sermon on discipline, obedience and forethought. Instead, we're going to do something far worse. We're going to do a ten-point sermon. Now, it turns out that a fellow named Hillary St. George Saunders, imagine trying to sign that, who wrote a book called The Left Handshake, the Boy Scout Scout Movement during the war, well, he used the first letter of each chapter to spell out that, that, that Scout motto, Be Prepared. And his chosen words were bravery, enterprise, purpose, resolution, endurance, partnership, assurance, reformation, enthusiasm and devotion. Now, you can see where I'm going with this. So here we go. How does the motto, Be Prepared, Spelled out in this acronym, help us to arrive at Christmas Day in the right space. More importantly, how can this attitude help us in our lives more generally? Fear not, although there are a fearsome 10 points, we're going to get through them very briskly. So, our first letter is B for bravery. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. We're told in 1 Corinthians 16 that we will need to be brave. I think it's a great shame that the typical picture of a Christian is often that of a wimp. Rubbish! Where on earth does that come from? Christians are to be found in every enterprise performed by humans, from accountants to zoologists. They are involved in every kind of sport, from archery to zorbing. And they practice every sort of hobby, from angling to Zippo lighting collecting. Now, it was a bit hard to find a hobby that began with Z. And I don't think that one has to be especially brave to collect Zippo lighters unless you're taking them out of the smoker's hand. Of course Christians are brave. But, are we brave in our faith? Will we stand up for what Scripture says in the face of humanism? Will we speak out when things are done wrong? Will we share Christ when there is a need? And there is always a need. Will we be bold in these ways in preparing for Christmas? Will we be an example of why there is a Christ in Christmas and that it is so much more than just a happy holiday? Our second letter is E for enterprise. Now this is a word that's not generally used in this context today. We might think of an enterprise as one kind of a business, and yes, that is one of the word's meanings. But it can also mean the willingness or eagerness to engage in labour that requires boldness, promptness and energy. So used like this we might speak of someone as being a person of great enterprise. If you think about it you will certainly know someone like that. They are generally quite exhausting but generally quite inspirational as well. Now in South Africa and Zimbabwe we will commonly talk about making a plan when difficulties come along. and this possibly doesn't translate well but it what it means, in fact, is that you will consider new and innovative ways to get things done, whatever they may be, mm, such as replacing the telephone wires to your house after they've been stolen for the copper, personally using a ladder in the back of your ute because the Post and Telecommunication Corporation has A, no wire, and B, even if they did have wire, they have no fuel to send their man to fix it. That is making a plan. And that is a perfect, and by the way, completely true example of the spirit of enterprise. I don't know if you've thought much about what sort of fellow Noah was. But imagine God tells you to build a gigantic boat, and there isn't even a cloud in the sky. How much wood did he need? How did he collect it, store it, and shape it? How did he build such a huge thing that wouldn't fold in half before there were computers and structural engineers? When you think about Noah, he must have been a most enterprising fellow. How can we bring that spirit to bear this Christmas? Of course, there are some very obvious things we can physically do, such as being creative about who we invite to lunch on Christmas Day. But I think it would also be good to reflect on the reasons why we may not be enterprising. Why might we not be willing or eager to engage in spiritual labor, which requires boldness, promptness, and energy. I believe that one reason for this is that we have missed or lost the vision of the gospel. What is that message? Well, gospel just means good news. The gospel is truly the good news because it means the end of the separation between humans and God because of sin. Now, that word separation may just conjure up in our minds a fairly mild picture of God doing His thing in one corner and us in another. But the real consequences are of the most grave nature. God is holy. As sovereign creator, He requires that disobedience is punished. And that means that for sins that we inevitably commit, the sure sentence is eternity in hell. We have read many times in scripture of God's wrath. And what that means is that he isn't just ticked off. He isn't mildly annoyed. He isn't turning a blind eye because we're basically a good person who tries to do right. He has a white hot fury over sin that demands justice. Yet God is also merciful and loving, and so sent His Son Jesus to take that punishment on our behalf by dying on the cross. He undid what we could never undo, even with the best of best behavior. And this is truly good news, because it means that for those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, physical death is only a moment in a glorious eternity with God in heaven. Now stop and think about that for a moment. In Philippians 1, Paul gives us such a clear example of where reflecting on the marvel of salvation ought to bring us to. For To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul has grasped the vision. Yes, living is good, especially living in Christ. And it certainly bears fruit. But the good news rings in his ears and draws his heart to the glory that comes through it after this life. Let's see if we can spend some time reflecting on Christmas to find that same excitement and desire. Let's commit to some quality time before Christmas, thinking through just what it is we have been given by God in the shape of that baby born in Bethlehem. Let's get the vision and then live each day with enterprise. Our third letter is P for purpose. Proper, proper Proper prior preparation prevents persistently poor performance. Sorry, there's too many P's there. If we don't know where we're going, if we don't set our eyes on the finish line, then we're going to blunder around and fail. We do not achieve great things by accident. That is why we must have a purpose. A purpose is something that a person puts in front of themselves as an object to be reached or accomplished. God has his own grand purposes, many of which are not understandable to us. But as we have read recently in Ephesians 2.10, he does have a purpose specifically for each one of us. And he has given each one of us gifts to achieve that purpose. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we work towards Christmas, we should be looking for those good works to do for others. After all, we should be mindful of the gift we received in the shape of that baby born to Joseph and Mary. Our fourth letter is R for resolution. This is another of those words that has many meanings, and the way it's most commonly used today suggests finding a solution, as in resolving a problem. However, in another usage, it speaks of a state of mind, and that state of mind is settled or determined. It's firm, steady, and constant. To say that I am resolved to do something means that no matter what difficulties come along, or however much others may argue against it, I will do everything in my power to achieve my goal. Philippians 3 is a well-known passage where Paul gives us a great scriptural example of resolution. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I just love the feeling in those verses. The urgency, the tension implied of Paul's body and mind as he reaches out and forward in service. For his Lord and Saviour. There is no question at all. That he is fully resolved. To carry out the task at hand. How is our own resolution? As we prepare for Christmas Day. We might think about that. Are we determined to do what is right and necessary. Before God without being distracted. Or deflected by hardship or criticism. Become a, becoming, a, becoming a Christian doesn't remove us from a fallen creation to one where all is sweetness and light. We still live in this world and scripture tells us that we will definitely live through hard times. We shall need resolve continuously and we can find it in the person of the Holy Spirit our helper and in the pages of scripture. But we need to pray We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us and we need to go to our Bibles and open them and read. Those gifts don't come upon us mysteriously in the night while we're sleeping. We must participate in the work of sanctification. What will our resolution be? Will it be of the New Year's resolution kind or will it be more like Paul's example? Our fifth letter is E for Endurance. Now, resolution has a bedfellow named endurance. In fact, it would be true to say that neither of them is possible without the other. Resolution gives meaning to endurance and endurance gives life to resolution. Here's Paul again in Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's our reason that cloud of witnesses who are around us. Are we most worried that they won't like our hair or that perhaps our waists aren't as trim as they might be? No. We endure for the sake of Jesus. We want to be witnesses to the gift of salvation, to draw others to God by our own example of life with Him. To be a consistent witness absolutely requires endurance because our sinful natures are continuously pulling us back and spoiling that work. How well are we enduring? Do we follow Paul's example? Do we try but slip and stumble as we go? Or are we on the couch with a beer watching Shortland Street? We will do well to think about that in these few days remaining before Christmas. Our sixth letter is P for partnership. Let this mind be anew, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death Those uncharitable thoughts when things become too hard. You know, it was so easy for Jesus. He was God. He doesn't understand what it's really like. Well, I've certainly had them. And this text shows that thinking to be wrong. Because Jesus is our partner. He has shared in our experiences in nearly every way possible for a human so we cannot say that he doesn't understand. And the complete truth, although we can't understand it because it's head-swimmingly difficult, is that Jesus was fully human as well as being fully God. But those identities didn't mix. His experience of life on earth was that of a normal human man and nothing more. By way of example, Can you imagine any combination of human and omnipotent God that would need to sweat blood in the terror of Gethsemane? Of course not. We cannot understand how this twofold nature worked because it is one of God's mysteries, but it remains the truth. Contemplation of this text immediately makes me think of three things. Firstly, Jesus is truly our partner. He absolutely understands our pain, our temptations, and our sufferings. With that perspective, we know that he can definitely understand, help and support us. Secondly, we must acknowledge that if Jesus as fully man could cope with even the most severe of trials, then we know that it is possible for us too. Lastly, and most gloriously, we can think about how loving and gracious the heart of a sovereign creator must be to be prepared to come down such a very long way to our level to rescue us. Thinking about these things ought to stir our hearts in a fine way that is fully appropriate to the Christmas season, and for that matter, all seasons. Our seventh letter is A for Assurance. Assurance is more than a state of mind. It means having a firm persuasion, full confidence or trust, and freedom from doubt. And in the same way that resolution and endurance live together, true assurance must have its seat in the heart. It has to live here. Isaiah 32:17 tells us that the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, And assurance forever. When we read this Old Testament passage with the perspective of the New Testament, we can understand its eternal promise. One of the sweet fruits of the gospel I spoke about earlier is a state of righteousness. Now, that word righteousness comes from a root word that means straightness, and it describes a state that holds to an authoritative standard you could imagine God's righteousness as an absolutely straight line. If we compare the course of our sinful lives against that line, well, ours is going to veer radically and be all over the place. The trouble is that before salvation, the very instant we move away from God's standard, we are at war with Him. Because of that, there is no peace or quietness possible, And it is a conflict that we will never have any chance at all of winning. However, thanks to the work of Jesus on the cross, when God looks down and he sees that line bending in the life of a believer, he is graciously able to accept Christ's sacrifice as having paid the penalty for that sin. And we have the priceless blessing of continuing in a state of righteousness with God. The line stays straight. We consequently have the assurance of quietness and peace, literally forever then, since though through Jesus we have the promise of eternal life in heaven. I don't know what you're hoping to find in your Christmas stocking this year, but I'd be moved to say that there wasn't one ever made that was large enough to hold the gift of eternal life of the certainty, of the assurance that we have been given in Christ. Spend some time thinking about that in preparation for Christmas Day. In fact, spend some time thinking about that and how you ought to respond every day. Our eighth letter is R for Reformation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. Although it is true that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to make atonement for every single sin, committed by every single human up till now and then from now until the end of the world, this can never be understood as a license for Christians to carry on living the way they did before they were saved. A reformation of behaviour is called for as a visible, outward demonstration of the inward, invisible change. Do you remember the cloud of witnesses we were talking about just a moment ago? More importantly, although God does not require any form of works in terms of good behaviour or being kind to others as payment for the gift of salvation we've been given, we should understand that the very least we could do as a right response to such an amazing gift is to change or reform the way we live towards His standards. We can never buy our salvation, but we can show our gratitude. As we move towards celebrating the arrival of Jesus who made all these things possible, it would be most appropriate to pause and take stock of how we are doing in our own Reformation. Perhaps we might even ask someone close to us who we trust what they think about how we are doing. Reformation is so important and appropriate for a day that celebrates the most important of all new beginnings. Our ninth letter is E for enthusiasm. Christmas is humbug, said Scrooge. Let's try the Christian version, shall we? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, Exceeding joy, joy inexpressible and full of glory. Is that something one might be enthusiastic about? Hmm. Now, I don't want to give the wrong picture here because it would be very misleading of me to say that Christians ought to go around with a fixed smile on their faces all the time. That would be false and that would be a lie. Christians live in a fallen world and we do honestly experience Every emotion known to humans. If we examine these passages, we will see that they look forward to the realization of our salvation. That moment when we leave this mortal life on earth, or Jesus comes and we come face to face with God. That is something to hope for. As we come to December the twenty fifth, have we spent any time giving thanks to God for that sure encounter? and feeling the anticipation and excitement of its coming. Or are we in full up Scrooge mode, because we're worn out from all the other Christmas stuff? Can I suggest that we spend some time thinking about the eternal promise that Christmas Day signals? The joy that waits us in heaven. And then, let's see if some enthusiasm might creep in, and chase that miserable fellow Scrooge away. Our tenth and last letter is D for Devotion. Now, Devotion is defined as the state of being devoted, an addiction or eager inclination, strong attachment, love or affection, zeal. And these words demonstrate that our faith is not intended to be one of half measures, but a full and complete immersion in the stream of living water. Psalm 119 is a very fine example of such a life attitude. And I'm I'm going to start reading from verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies. And not to covetousness. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. And revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread. For your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. How would we compare in the devotion stakes to the composer of this song? Speaking for myself, I have some way to go. But I am inspired by the notion of taking delight in God's path. As we come to Christmas, let's seek to get on that path and be devoted to staying on it for the rest of our lives. There's been a lot to think about here. It just so happens that including today and into Christmas Day, there are 10 days till Christmas. So, why don't we take one of these facets that we've seen today of being prepared every day and spend some time reflecting on them. That way there's no danger of waking up to the realisation that there was something important we ought to have done before we carved the turkey. Let's be prepared. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be ready for this day that's coming, the day when we celebrate your birth. Lord, help us to see it not just in terms of a nice picture of a tiny baby in a crib, but the hope that that baby brought into the world. Oh Jesus, we are so grateful to you for coming to this earth, for living as a man, for dying on the cross and paying for our sins. Through your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would gain a vision of what that truly means for our lives, And why we would so need to share that with others. Lord, help us to show to others the Christ in Christmas. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.